fans. They arrive, they watch, they cheer, they leave, and they wait till next week. Followers, they practice every day. They learn, they take the hits, they sacrifice. This world is full of fans. Will you be more? Do you have what it takes to follow, to step onto the field? Let's do this. Well, hey, Heritage, welcome. I want to give a shout out to all of you at our Bettendorf campus, as well as those online as we join you here from Rock Island. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 10. You can click and turn to that now, Mark, chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just sit back and listen. I would like to start our time by reading a few words that Jesus said in Mark, chapter 10. And I'm starting again at verse 42. He said this, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." These are the words of Jesus. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather. In the name of Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill the spaces that your people are gathered in right now. And I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear exactly what you want us to know. I pray we would be transformed for having been here. And I pray that you are glorified. So take these moments and use them, Lord. I pray this again in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome to Fan to Followers, week number two. This series is intentionally designed for us to unpack and understand the difference between a fan and a follower because God is looking for followers and not fans. And so we as a church family, we're actually taking some time to have the conversation about the difference and to know how to move from simply being fans to being true followers of Jesus. And we're using the metaphor of football, but this is not a series about football. It's just a helpful metaphor for us to understand the biblical principles. So whether you like football or not, this conversation can position all of us to chase what matters, to live for what matters. In fact, your life, your life can matter for what matters most. And that's your first fill-in if you're following along in the sermon note guide. Your life can matter for what matters most. Now, we don't always know how to do that, don't always how to live into that, but we never will if we separate it from our God-given purpose and design as followers and end up living as fans. It's only when we live as followers that we truly understand what it looks like to follow Jesus and to live as a disciple. So we're taking some time to understand the difference. And, and last week when we kicked this thing off, we, we started doing some of the comparison between a fan and a follower. I thought it'd be helpful if we started this week with a bit of a review with a form of a pop quiz. Are you ready? Now look, some of you, those of you who weren't here that last weekend, that's okay, don't worry. 
You can get caught up at HeritageQC.com, but beyond that, you don't need any special training to determine the difference between a fan and a follower. You have an innate ability to know. So let's get right to it. Fan to follower pop quiz for week number two. Here we go. Let's look at this picture right here. Who would you say? Are these guys more like fans or followers? Yeah, they're like followers, way more like followers. They're painted up, they're passionate, they're ready to go. That guy way over there on the right, he's dressed as Bane, who's the arch nemesis of that uh, superhero, uh, oh yeah, Batman, yeah, yeah. And so these guys are more like followers, not fans. Good, good, let's go to the next one. How about these folks? Are they more fans or followers? They're more fans. They're disengaged. They're downtrodden. There's no passion. They're just hanging out. They're more like fans. There's a difference. Let's take a look at this next picture. How about these two guys? Are they fans or followers? They're followers. Man, I got to tell you, when I get a Christmas card that has a little bit of glitter on it, that stuff lingers for months. I can't even begin to imagine what these guys had to go through to cover themselves in glitter like that. They're way more like followers than fans. Let's take a look at the next one. Here we go. These guys are what? They're way more like fans. They're bored. They're chilling, like checking their phone, doing whatever. They're more like fans. What about these guys here? Yeah, more like they're falling asleep. Man, they're like barely engaged at all. No passion there. They're more like fans than followers. How about these folks in this picture here? Yeah, they're followers. Look at that guy way over there on the right. He is giving it all he's got, just screaming at the top of his lungs. They are way more like followers than fans. All right, now let's go to the last one, but don't let this last one fool you. Here it is. Are these fans or followers? Now hang on a second. Take a look at this. Look at this. Okay, look at the bottom. Read the very bottom of this. You got to see what this is. This says that this, the score is San Francisco 6, Seattle 42. It's the fourth quarter. There's a minute 47 left to go. San Francisco has the ball and it's fourth and 17. And these 49er supporters are still there. <laughs> so what are they? Are they more fans or followers? Yeah, they're way more like followers. Way more. They're still there. Even in the midst of all of that. Listen, there is a difference between fans and followers. And God is looking for followers, not fans. In one sense, we could, we could pause and say, let's look at this in, in the form of like location. You can talk about this concept of fan of followers based on location itself. So if you just picture a stadium, a stadium is, is going to have an interior and exterior, right? You have, the, you have the stands and you have the field. Now, let me just be clear. We're talking about followers. We're not talking about social media followership. We're not talking about observing from afar where you like and, and unlike, where you friend and unfriend. We're talking about being diehard, all in, sold out, through and through, true warriors who bleed the colors of those they follow. That's the kind of follower Jesus is looking for. And when we think about fan to follower, you can think of the stadium environment itself, and there's that internal, external, inside, outside reality. And, and if you were to position yourself in this picture based on what most reflects your connection to football, not spirituality, just football, your status with football, where would you position yourself in this picture? So, for example, if you're someone who is just a total football fanatic and you're all in and if the coach would let you play, you would play and you would put yourself on the field, right? 
So let's do this, all of our locations. If you're someone who would be on the field because your commitment, your passion is high, not your ability necessarily, but just your passion and your interest in football is high, you'd be on the field, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you'd be like, all in, coach, put me in, I'm ready to go. All right, you're the diehard football fanatics. That's great. Now, how about if those of you who like put me as close as I can get, sidelines, front row, 50-yard line, but I, I want to be just as close as I can, but not actually in there. Okay, good. Yeah, it's good. Okay, Bettendorf, you got to get your hands up on this too. So what if you're someone who says, you know what, I'll just be in the stadium is good enough for me. I want to be in the stadium. I want to be there and be part of it. It doesn't matter where I'm at. Raise your hand. So like I'll watch a game, but that's about it. Okay, good. Now, how many of you are in the parking lot? Yeah, and how many of you are still at home because you really don't care at all? Listen, that makes sense. I get it. When it comes to football, I get it. But what if we were talking about this concept and this represented our spiritual lives? What if this represented following Jesus? Where would you be? Not where do you want to be or where you should be, but where you actually are. Where would you be? See, there's only one option for those who are followers of Jesus, and that's to be on the field. Fans are in the stands. Followers actually start to look more like players, and they're on the field. And there's a difference between a fan and a follower, so I wonder where you are spiritually today. So we looked last week at a compare and contrast reality for fans and followers, and, and a follower is someone who's a contributor they're an advocate. It's unconditional relationship with lots of passion, and that, that relationship is there, which it's driven out of love, and it's, it's way deeper, way more significant than what happens when you're a fan. A fan is more a consumer, an admirer. Circumstantial uh, realities play into their emotional expressions, and the reality that we're really talking more about a religion where you're just doing the minimum and you're following the rules, and that's really more what it looks like to be a fan than a follower. There's a difference between being a fan and a follower. And I wonder where you are. Because your life can matter for what matters most, but it depends on how you're living your life. As a fan in the stands or a follower on the field. Because followers always identify with their team. And there's a difference. And one of the biggest differences about a follower and a fan is what they want. And, and actually fans want more from than for. And we could actually say it this way, your next fill-in is this, the followers want more for people than from people. Followers want more for people than from people. They want more for the team. They want more for others. And, and they're not just concerned about themselves. They're not just consumers. They're contributors. They're participants. And they actually care more about others than themselves. Some of you know that I have two boys, Joshua and Daniel. Daniel's my youngest. He's 16. He, he is almost as tall as me. He's wearing the same shoe size as me. He has broader shoulders than me. He's probably going to be the biggest guy in our family. And he, and he and I have had a special relationship when it comes to wrestling our whole lives. We wrestle all the time. And up to this point, I've been able to take him. I think he can take me now, but either he doesn't know or he's just respecting his old man. I don't know, but I'm still taking him when we wrestle. But the dude's a beast, and he's a true warrior, true warrior's heart. But at the same time, he's one of the most caring and kind people I know. In fact, when he was a kid, he started playing football around second or third grade. He's about seven or eight years old. Uh, he loved it, and he did really well. Here's a picture of he and I around that time when he started playing football. Oh, he's a cutie, isn't he? But he was a warrior, because you got to understand something. In western Pennsylvania, they're nuts about football. They're crazy. 
As a second and third grader, they had practices five days a week, two to three hours a night. With games on weekends. And if you missed a practice, you didn't play in the game. It's crazy. It was high intensity, high expectation. It was like play hard, hit hard. And listen, Daniel did that. He did really well. But here's what he would do. He would hit somebody in a game, he'd knock them down, and then he'd help them, help them up. Yeah, and you, some of you are like, well, that's just good sportsmanship. Well, in a way, except the play was still happening. As a seven-year-old, he would do this in the middle of the play before the whistle blew. Very infuriating for the coaches. I mean, he was so much concerned about other players that he'd be running down the field. He'd see a player from the other team injured, and he'd like start focusing on that. He would stop and help them. He would shift his focus from what he was supposed to be doing to take care of the others. Because as much as he loved football, as much as he got excited about it, he really cared more about others than himself. (laughs) And that's problematic in football, but it's pretty cool when it comes to life. (laughs) And followers want more for people than from people. They're not just seeking to take in a relationship, they're seeking to give. And I understand that can push against our natural tendencies, and for some of us more than others, that pushes against our natural design. But all of us can struggle at some level to position other people first, to to position people ahead of our own interests. We can all struggle with that. But true followers want more for people than from people. Yet we struggle. And it's really not that abnormal. It's, it's fairly common. So just think about it this way. If, if we were to all, all, everybody at all of our network were to go right now out into the wilderness to build a bridge over a river, we could get out there, start working on that project, but if a very large, angry, hungry grizzly bear showed up, what would, be the, what would happen first? What most people do? Run! Yeah, absolutely. This big, angry grizzly bear comes out. People are going to run. Why? When that happens, what are we actually doing? We're seeking to protect who? Yes, ourself. All right? That is totally natural. That is not abnormal. That's what happens. That kind of reminds me of the joke when the guys are out backpacking, camping. The bear jumps out, clearly going to attack them. First guy turns to run. Second guy drops to the ground, starts kicking off his hiking boots and putting on his running shoes. His buddy says, what are you doing? You're crazy. You can't outrun a bear. And his buddy looks up and says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's our natural desire is to protect self. That's the first thing that we do. But once that happens, then who do we protect? What do we do second? We protect others. Yeah, others. And that can be varying degrees of relationship. Parents can get really tenacious about protecting their children. A spouse, family, close friends. We move, we protect self first, but then we protect others. And so in that dynamic, back to the bridge, we're out there building the bridge. You may say, hey, Sean, there's a bear, as you run by and push me out of the way. Right? I get it. It's okay. It's not abnormal. It's how it works. Protect self, protect others. But then, okay, only then... We get to the third reality, is that we protect the organization, or in this case, I'm just going to go with team because we're talking about fan to follower. This is how natural response works when it comes to protection. When something bad happens, we seek to protect ourselves, and we protect others based on the degree of relationship, and we usually forget about the organization, the purpose, the thing, the project, whatever we're working on, the thing that is. Because nobody's standing there going with the grizzly bear in front of them and saying, protect the bridge! Nobody's doing that. This is natural. But here's the thing. Fans follow the progression of one, two, three. Protect themselves first, then others when it's possible or feasible, and position the team, the organization, the third last. That's what fans do. But, but followers... 
Followers do the exact opposite. See, fans, they're in the stands, right? Followers are on the field. And when we move this into the spiritual reality, we're really talking about kingdom here. We're, we're talking about the things of God, the things of Jesus. True followers of Jesus have a priority of protecting the kingdom, then others, and ourselves last. It's a difference between a fan and a follower. It, it actually never works to be a follower and function one, two, three. It will only ever work three, two, one. And we may think, you know what, that's kind of cold, right? It's cold, cold to put the organization, the team, the kingdom ahead of a person, really. Listen, when we live three, two, one, everybody wins. It actually does a disservice to people to disconnect them from the priority of kingdom first. It is in their best interest to prioritize kingdom, then them, and then us. It's really the expression of wanting more for others than from others. And I wonder, as you think through this, where you're at. See, it's not, it's not always easy to, to live into relationship with people, to position others better than ourselves. And it seems really natural to live one, two, three. But it runs counter to God's design and to his purpose. We need to want more for people than from people and live in a three, two, one reality. But at some level, we all struggle with this. Yet, God calls us into relationship with him and others in the right order. Three, two, one. And followers want more for than from. But that's a shift of perspective for many of us. And we, and we need to make that shift because what we chase, what we promote, what we pursue, what we protect determines really who we are. And if you're still following along in your guide, you could look at it this way, that we per, what we pursue defines who we become. What you pursue defines who you become. What, when we protect something, it sets a trajectory for our life. And so when we chase, when we invest, when we decide, when we pursue, all that matters, which is why Jesus was really clear about what was most important in life, what takes priority. When he was asked what the most important command was, he responded very specifically and very clearly. Here's what he said in Mark chapter 12. He said this, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus is very clearly talking about a 3 two, one reality here. It's pretty straightforward. And we've heard this before. Many of us have heard this before. We, we know it's in the Old Testament. We know Jesus brought it back into the New Testament. And we believe we're supposed to do it, but we don't know how necessarily. Or we're not really sure to know how we're really, if we are or not. How do we know if we are or not? But listen, let me give you the secret to knowing whether we're living into this or not. We look at what we protect. We look at the, what we protect because that reveals what we love. It, it shines brighter than a neon sign. It shouts louder than words and desire. Look at what you protect because that reveals your priority. Let's, let's just take a moment. Let's see if a 30-second car commercial can help us understand this idea more fully. Check this out. Is it fast? It's got 10 speeds, my friend. Is it fast? It's got a lightning bolt on it, doesn't it? Is it fast? I don't even know if it's street legal. Is it safe? Oh, yeah. It's a Volkswagen. 
the security of a Jetta, one of nine Volkswagen models named the 2012 IIHS Top Safety Pick. Is it fast or is it safe? Listen, I just want to be clear, that's not an endorsement for or against any car. Listen, not at all. It is a great illustration that helps us understand the perspective that our perspective may need to shift. That, that we may need to move from, from what we protect in one time to protect in another season. See, we're, we're created for adventure, no doubt. We're created to be part of something much bigger than ourselves, which is why we'll ask the question, is it fast? Which is why we have this question we, with this desire for more. We ask, what's the next thing? Is there more? And when we're younger, when we're younger, we tend to risk more. We, we do that in sports, we do that with heights, we do that with speed, we do that in relationships, anything dangerous, we risk more. But the, the older we get, we tend to do less of that. We actually tend to be a little more protective. It could be that we have greater wisdom, or it could be that the stakes are just much higher at that point. I don't know, there's lots of reasons why we might be more protective. But the reality is that protecting is not bad. It can be good as long as it's in the right order. As long as it's three, two, one. When we live one, two, three, we're out of step with God. It's good to shift from, from how fast to how safe when you've got a baby on board. That makes sense. But we can actually make a shift in this process of protection based on our humanity, based on our depravity. We can shift to protect out of protecting ourselves. And we can push people out of the way to get out of the way of a bear. Because in the end, we ultimately protect what we love. We protect what we love. Which is why what Jesus said was so important. The, the, the reality is that, that regardless of age, regardless of who we are, we tend to shift towards comfort. We tend to shift towards protecting ourselves. It's not easy to risk with other people, especially when they hurt us. It's not easy to position them ahead of ourselves. But until we live in the priorities of this, the priorities of the kingdom, priorities of God, where it's three, two, one, we will be out of step with God, and we will be fans, not followers. Followers live three, two, one. Fans live one, two, three. This is not optional. It's not Maybe if you want to position others ahead of yourself, go ahead and do that. Only if they're kind to you. Only if you're sure they're not going to hurt you. Then go ahead and do that. No, Jesus modeled for us three, two, one himself to the point of death, death on a cross. And ultimately, we protect what we love. And so Jesus was pretty clear when he talked about what we were supposed to love. And, and, and Paul in Philippians even takes it a little bit further in talking about this prioritization of, of people, making sure the number two is where the number two should be. He, he said this in Philippians. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Listen, this is a lot harder to live into than it is to agree to. <laughs> we can agree to this. And we may say, look, I, I want to love, and I, I, I want to love like Philippians 2. But it's proven. It's proven in what we protect. If we live 3, 2, 1 or not. And if we're honest, as we, as we, as we work in our spiritual journey, we can end up believing like a follower, but behaving like a fan. And when we do that, 
We position ourselves out of step with God. It, it takes us actually back to the conversation we had last week when we talked about being lukewarm. Believing as a follower, but behaving as a fan. In fact, what I want to do is just, I think we struggle sometimes to recognize fan behavior in ourselves. And so I want to just read a few things, a, a list that I found that, that describe what it might look like when we're not living 3-2-1, but we're actually living 1-2-3. When, when that happens, we, we look out for ourselves first. It may be as dramatic as pushing somebody out of the way because there's a bear, or it could look something less dramatic, like when we look at a group photo that we are in, who do we look at first? And if you look at yourself first, ask yourself why. It may be that you have a critical spirit, and, and, you, and we think that our ideas are better than someone else's because they are our own. That we, we have a low self-esteem. We think our appearance or performance is lower than that of others. Ironically, sometimes, because our standards for ourselves are higher than others. When we're living one, two, three, we, we talk about ourselves all the time. We dominate the conversation, we talk over people, we use tactics like of humor and cynicism to take control of the conversation and attempt to add value to ourselves. We are overly competitive. We, we seek to win to prove that we are better than the other person. We hold grudges over things that were done to us, but not to, done to someone else, especially if we've done them to someone else. And when we live one, two, three, we, we struggle to forgive ourselves and others. And even when God has forgiven us, because our opinion is still more important, yet how we handle forgiveness frees us or imprisons us. When we live one, two, three, we can see these kind of realities show up in our life. But Jesus modeled something very different. Everything he did and everything he does is always from a posture of positioning others first. He modeled that for us. He calls us to it. And the greatest fellowship, the greatest relationship, the greatest community happens in the context of three, two, one. And until you and I value people above ourselves, we will use them. We'll use them. One, two, three. Until we view people as God views them, we live lesser lives. Yet, we're called to love people and use things. However, I think we tend to, to use people and love things in the way we actually live. We treat people like commodities. It's about what they can give us. It's what we can get from them. It, it happens in social media where it's about satisfying our, 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 our identity, that we're more important because of what's happening in that dynamic. It, it happens when we engage in pornography. That's just about satisfying our own desires. It's positioning one, two, three in our life. So we use social status. And, and until we actually position ourselves three, two, one, we'll use people and we will also use God. Because in one, two, three... We are Lord. But in 3, 2, 1, Jesus is. And everything changes. So whenever we engage people in a way that is about us, we use them. And we're just a fan. Where we watch and we cheer and we leave. So instead of falling into 1, 2, 3, we actually need to live 3, 2, 1. And then in that posture, we seek to give more than we take in a relationship. We want more for than from. And when we do that, we begin to see God do the miraculous in our life, in and through us, in our family, in our relationships, only when we live 3-2-1 as a follower, not 1-2-3 as a fan. You see, this whole concept of this order, fan or follower, is about a lordship principle. 
it takes humility to live three, two, one. And until we position ourselves behind and others above and the priority of God and his kingdom and Jesus is Lord, life will be less. When we live as a fan, one, two, three, we are Lord. When we live three, two, one, Jesus is Lord. And all that he has for us begins to take shape in our life. But that's something that we have to commit to and decide every day to battle in it and say, I'm not going to choose myself. I'm going I'm to protect what I love and I'm choosing to love the Lord my God first, others second, and myself third. But we can struggle. <laughs> the 12 disciples struggled with this. Most of the time they hung out at one. Uh, Peter, James, and John dropped into two a few times, but it was like two, one, and one, two. They kind of mixed it up a bit. It's one of the realities. And one particular point, Jesus addresses this with them. And it takes us back to that passage I read at the very beginning of our time. This goes back to Mark chapter 10. Let's check it out for just a moment because it takes place after James and John ask to sit left and right of Jesus beside the throne. Now here's the deal about that. The throne is only about one, just one, and it's Jesus and no other. So here's how Jesus responded. And this is, again, I read this earlier. But let's look at it through different eyes. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. One, two, three. And their high officials exercise authority over them. One, two, three. Not so with you. Instead, however, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Three, two, one. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Three, two, one. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Three, two, one. I wonder how you're living today. Our constant tension pulls us towards comfort where we seek to protect ourselves. But we ultimately protect what we love. So I want to take a moment. Let's hear from one of our own as they've journeyed through some of this in this video. Check it out. Well, we had just moved up here from Texas, and uh, my daughter had started getting really involved in the church, and I could see that her heart was really for God. And uh, I saw the Awana... Um, advertisement and I was like you know that'd be really cool for her to get into and I could tell that it was something that she was interested in and I thought you know what a good way for me to be involved with my daughter into something that's also you know to glorify God and um, so I went ahead and signed her signed my daughter up and I went ahead and signed my wife and me up to volunteer <laughs> and uh, that's how that's how it started so I could feel like God was pushing me to uh, step out of my comfort zone, you know. And when you hear God calling, you gotta, you gotta respond, you gotta listen, you know. I think it greatly impacts kids. Like it, and you, and you could really tell. You know, you have kids that are coming back to serve in Awana, that were in Awana. Um, these kids are taking on the Word of God. You know, what other greater way to impact somebody than sharing the word with them. Being uh, co-directors in Awana, and we also do the bridge group, so just volunteering with the kids uh, and having Abby as my 
as my partner in everything, you know, in life and teaching has uh, really brought us closer together as a family, but also brought us closer together with God. So we're going, you know, and uh, not only that, but individually it's helped us grow, you know, with God and then learn to understand each other a little better. You know, so it's definitely, definitely helped us. You know, it's really awesome about like being in the Heritage family, being in Awana and the Go Kids is like my whole family is involved, you know? So I don't really need to take time away from my family because we're all in it together, you know? I've given my family to God, you know, that's, that's my treasure. God, take this, what do you want us to do, you know? So we all want, you know, we're all involved, which, so for me that's cool because I don't have to take time away from my family, you know, when it comes to volunteering. My wife's right there with me, my kids are involved, and to me that's, that's the coolest thing ever. When you're thinking about volunteering in anything, um, it's to, you're thinking about it because it's not in your comfort zone. Uh, you gotta pray about it. You gotta pray about it, you gotta ask God about it. God's gonna tell you to step out of your comfort zone and if you're comfortable with where you're at in life, then you're not doing enough. You gotta step out of that comfort zone and go beyond to do more for what God is calling you to do. Listen, Shane placed himself behind others, behind his family, and positioned himself to be submitted to the purposes of God, to live 3-2-1. And he's right. If we're comfortable, we aren't living as we should. There's actually a different reality for a follower than a fan. And we need to step out of our comfort zone and live 3-2-1. You know, something always happens when we live according to these priorities, when, when, when the kingdom priorities prevail, God does amazing things. When we live three, two, one. Whenever we live one, two, three, we preempt what God wants to do in our life because we've already gotten the sequence out of order and we're not demonstrating love for him by how we function in that dynamic. Something always happens in a three, two, one dynamic. And I wonder how you're living today. Is it three, two, one? Or is it one, two, three? Maybe another way to look at this, uh, another question to ask ourselves, is who do you think of most as you go through your day? As you go through your day, who is most coming to mind? Is it you? Is it others? Or is it God? In what order and sequence? How, how are you living? Is, is it one, two, three, or three, two, one? Because who we follow, who we pursue, who we prioritize defines who we become. I like the way Craig Rochelle says it. He says it this way, show me who you listen to and I will show you who you are becoming. He's right. Whoever, whoever we are prioritizing, whoever we're pursuing and chasing, that's what's most defining who we, who we become. Who we follow defines who we become. Now, a few weeks back, I shared with you um, how God kind of worked in me on a couple things. And, and I, I had to own inverting one, two, three, and three, two, one. I, I had inverted back to one, two, three. I, I had been in... Um, it, actually, it's a form of idolatry. It, it's, it's a lordship issue. But I had been in some hard leadership conversations, some painful leadership conversations. Uh, there had been some dynamics that were just, just hard for me to, to have these conversations with people who were sharing with me that they, didn't, they didn't, didn't think I was loving or leading or even teaching very well. 
And in that dynamic, I started to slowly reorient 3-2-1 to a 1-2-3. Because I was more concerned about my reputation than his. And the moment God revealed that to me, I broke. And I had to own it. And I had to repent. And I had to humble myself and submit to him and prioritize three, two, one. Because I don't want to live one, two, three. I've seen what that does. And it can happen. And, and maybe, you're maybe in a place like that yourself, right even now. The, the things of life, the circumstances of life, the world, people have, have led you to a posture of protecting one, two, three. Of believing that one, two, three is justified and it's okay. But listen, that's the life of a fan and not a follower of Jesus. And God has more for you. And your life can matter for what matters most. So let's take this to two quick so what realities. You ever heard the statement, first things first? That's the first one. We got to make the first thing first. Make the first thing first. In, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Make the first thing first. It's three, two, one. We pursue what we protect and we protect what we love. And that's not information. It's not knowledge. It's not just believing. It is pursuit. It's to obey. It's to chase as we approach and pursue him. So we make the first thing first. And the second thing that we do is that we position yourself last. Position yourself last. It's just two things we actually need to take care of. We make the first thing first, and we position ourselves last. We make this thing that I could call a kingdom sandwich. <laughs> when we make Jesus first, and we position ourselves last, then all the drama and all the realities will happen in the middle. Because you can't, you can't control people. You can't manipulate people. There's so much that happens in the world with people that when you have that reality of him first and us last, then the Lord starts to work in that dynamic, and he handles what happens in the middle, and it's a kingdom sandwich. And we need to make sure that we position ourselves last. Because this is what Jesus said. He said this. He said, sitting down with those disciples, he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That's the upside down reality of God's kingdom. It's three, two, one. And it's why Jesus was so clear about the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. It's three, two, one. So, it's first things first, seeking first his kingdom and position yourself last. And when we do that, then the one who deserves all honor and glory and praise gets it. And then we position ourselves where we're least likely to ask to sit on or beside the throne. But we humble ourselves, and that's where God's able to work and move. So let's take a moment and go to a moment of prayer. But I want to invite you to have some conversation on your own with the Lord about where you're at in the fan to follower reality and what kind of priority you're living. Is it 3-2-1? Or perhaps you're really living 1-2-3. And today you need to have that conversation to reorient to the priority and posture that Jesus is calling you to. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you, to know you through your Son, even to study your Word. Thank you for your pursuit of us. And then you position us to pursue you. Uh, for, to have relationship with you. And I, I pray, Father, that as each of us just think and process through where we're at in the fan to follow our reality, what order of priority we're living. Are, are we truly living 3-2-1 or 1-2-3?
God, I pray you'd speak. I, I pray you would give insight. And, and I pray when you do reveal that we would have the wisdom and courage to step boldly into obedience, that we would live as followers and not just fans because you have made us for more. You, you, our life can matter for what matters most. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters as they just process and reflect that your Holy Spirit would speak and you would lead all of us into greater levels of followership. We are disciples who make disciples. And we step away from the fan reality. And you're able to do what you want to do in and through us for your glory. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.